Welcome to Talking Data. Our Talking Data series seeks to offer timely insights into macro market themes along with macro data and its impact on the economy and markets. I'm Kristen Radish of Arbor Research and Trading and I will be your host. Today, Ben Breitholtz of Arbor Data Science will be discussing tips, inflation expectations, and how owner's equivalent rent may be a game changer. Ben, is inflation coming? Maybe. <laughs> well, uh, that's kind of the big question uh, going into 2021 as we get this roaring 20s, you know, kind of uh, explosive growth, global synchronized growth, potentially in Q2, Q3 of next year. And this is something investors, the financial media have seen coming. Uh, we've been tracking their kind of I guess outlook on inflation and we've been looking at news trends there's a chart we have here that shows that news trends have uh, really doubled if not tripled in terms of talking about inflation accelerating rising um, increasing over the year ahead and we've really seen the most enthusiasm since the middle of 2009 middle of 2010 when we were coming out of the great financial crisis now historically that's actually led to realized inflation looking over the next six to 12 months. Uh, you can look, there's a chart here showing coming out of the financial crisis out of 2014-15 when crude oil was absolutely demolished. Uh, we ended up pushing well above 2% on headline, uh, headline um, uh, PCE inflation, which is one of the Fed's favorite preferred metrics. Now, the big issue though is across the globe, we're gonna have these base effects. And I joked that really calling for higher inflation in 2021 is the easiest and safest call a pundit and uh, economic forecaster can make right now. And that's because this trough that we saw in April and May with prices getting absolutely um, destroyed uh, across many different avenues from you know uh, apparel to autos to, uh, to uh, OER now, which we'll talk about here um, a little bit later. Um, and with that base effect, as we move towards April and May, if you just look at a simple time series forecast of PCE, in this case, I'm looking at core inflation, we would see year over year changes rise to about 2.4 to 2.5%, just if we return back to the normal trend we have been in since 2015, 2016. So that makes the concept of, oh, inflation's coming, you know, kind of almost a certainty. It's, really now a question of how much does that inflation endure, how spread out is it across services, goods, and so and housing, and so on. And then again, can that persist through the end of 2021 into 2022? So as I said, this is a global phenomenon. We're seeing 10-year inflation break-evens, inflation-linked uh, bonds, notes and bonds, exceed CPI year over year across all developed economies. There's a chart here um, that shows right around 85 basis points is that spread, again, between, uh, you know, here tips break evens in the U.S. and then inflation linked uh, overseas from Australia all the way up to South Korea, um, uh, you know, exceeding CPI. So this is kind of a ubiquitous expectation. This fits in line with what we've seen with uh, a lot of the flows going into the commodity space and in, in the equity space into industrials, materials, energy, and the like. It's kind of a setup for this global synchronized growth. It's very akin to late 2016, early 2017. And we'll see if that is an eventuality. Um, the common thinking right now is that we'll get about a three and a half to 4% boost just thanks to vaccines to world GDP. So, you know, inflation is certainly in the mind that 
with the supply constraints we've seen, we could see a rise in prices. So investors have um, dove in essentially into tips. They've seen pretty strong flows. We'd like to measure them on a rolling one month basis relative to nominal treasuries. In this case, we're looking further out the curve, intermediate to long end um, uh, maturities. And tips have outperformed on a flows basis by almost nine billion and well for a period it did by nine billion uh just recently through i think the middle of last week or so so investors are heavily preferring inflation expectations and they've been rewarded with that if you look at 10-year tips break evens the reward to risk ratio or the sharp ratio over the past six months briefly touched above three to one which is quite exceptional we've only seen that three separate times uh, since the financial crisis and the issue is that the three times that that, that occurred was more or less a peak um, in tips break even, a peak in inflation expectations. So the big question now is we've gotten fives, tens, thirties, getting close to 200 basis points on tips break even basis. Now, are we going to see enough momentum to take us above that 2% threshold, which is kind of the Fed's line in the sand? Um, and it's it's going to have to do, you know, tip break evens and inflation expectations are going to have to do something they haven't done, which is sustain some pretty uh, terrific performance looking ahead into 2021. A lot of the um, indications that equity investments, risk assets in general are kind of attaching to this inflation story are showing up. So if we take the majority of the kind of the industries, industry groups, among the S&P 1500, we see that the areas in the sectors, industries where we expect uh, inflation to touch them and really correlate positively um, is occurring. So things like steel, industrial conglomerates, aluminum, machinery, chemicals, and so on have seen a increasingly positive correlation to tips break even. It's part of that global reflation story. On the flip side, and this is something to keep in the back of your mind, the hotter um, kind of tech space, uh, internet re including internet retail, interactive home entertainment, even communications in the wireless space and household products, they've seen their connection to TIS break even suddenly turn uh, really close to zero to slightly negative, meaning that maybe if we do get this, this recovery uh, in inflation, the Fed allows that to persist, meaning they lean into that inflation, which is very different than what we've seen historically, uh, that would ultimately potentially be a and negative for some of these higher risk kind of tech oriented uh, locations or sectors. One of the cases we've made is that tips break evens uh, in the 10 year space have actually underperformed, surprisingly underperformed where we'd expect them to be based on uh, risk assets. So we put together this really simple kind of model and it's a support vector machine, uh, which is fancy. I can get into that, anyone that wants to hear about it um, in a separate venue. And we took five different components, one being energy, crude oil, with a copper, market risk, which is essentially implied volatility, global liquidity across credit and governments, which we use B of A's index. And then we looked at flexible CPI, which attaches so well to tips break evens. And if we look at out of sample results for where 10-year tips break even should reside, they say they should be as high as 220 basis points by now, but we're somewhere around 190, 185 basis points. So we have roughly this, you know, 25, 30 basis point underperformance. And the big question is, you know, why is that? Why haven't tips break evens cut, kept up with other risk assets that are really projecting this Goldilocks scenario next year for growth and the vaccine and fiscal stimulus and so on. And 
it really comes down to now investors' apprehension to price in two plus percent headline CPI or PCE uh, really over the next five plus years. And one of our favorite metrics and charts that we've been sharing with all of you is inflation swaps, caps, and floors, which are essentially call and put options on CPI over different tenors, you know, maturities. And in this case, we've been looking for the five year to follow along with the 10 year and 30 year to expecting and pricing in headline CPI above 2%, which means we need a, a 50 plus percent probability using these premiums between the, the, the uh, caps and floors from inflation swaps. So right now the five-year space is, is right on the fence at 50%. And this is kind of one of the last steps that we need to see, that we believe we need, need to see in order to get an inflation premium. We have better than 65% of economies growing across the globe, that should continue to improve. We have better than 60% of commodities, excluding uh, precious metals, railing on a year-over-year basis. Those are two positive things for tips, break-evens, and for inflation around the globe. Now we just need inf investors to buy in. So we need to see this 50% probability offered by the five-year outlook to push um, you know, well above 50%. And that's going to really should or should not happen within the week, you know, these next number of weeks going into the early months here of 2021. The story here is that investors have really not priced in an in inflation premium. So as much as we want to talk about the global reflation, the tips break evens as you know as a product in terms of its performance has been dominated by an absolute smashing reduction in its liquidity premium. Now the Fed owns 30 plus percent of tips, you know, at the intermediate to long end of the curve. They've helped dampen and dampen uh, that liquidity premium the most, uh, which has allowed tips break-evens to rebound appreciably. You know, took 10-year break-evens. You can probably ex explain almost all of 10-year tips break-evens rebound to about 180 or so basis points based on this liquidity premium alone. So looking at, at the DKW decomposition of 10-year tips break-evens. We can see that the contribution by the inflation premium relative to the liquidity premium is very scant, has yet to truly show up. So that's why we've laid out historically these three steps. We need you know, 50% plus of economies growing, 50 plus percent of, com of commodities producing year-over-year gains, and then we need 50 plus percent probabilities from five years on up to 30 years that investors are expecting two plus percent headline inflation. Uh, so we'll see if that shows up. Now we can get a leg up on is the inflation premium showing up or not. And how we can do that is look at the connection between tips break-evens and really nominal yields in general and the VIX, so equity implied volatility. And what we have seen in recent weeks is the correlation between, for example, tips break-evens and the VIX go from an extremely negative, not extremely, but a negative level of around negative 0.5, all of a sudden to zero to slightly positive. And the last time this happened was Valmageddon in early 2018, when we saw uh, everything kind of hit the fan. Um, some of that was an inflation story. And in this case, I think it means that the, the goodness of inflation, the you know inflation rising is no longer attached to dampening or lower, lower equity volatility. We, want to watch this closely because then if we get this higher and higher correlation between the VIX and TIFFs break-evens, it means that equity investors are that much more concerned. Now, what is really the outlook though for CPI over the short and medium term? 
the one of the issues we have and concerns is that with the slowing job market that we've seen, kind of stair-stepping lower and lower in non-farm payrolls prints, we believe that headline CPI over the short to medium term will not really offer much many fireworks. We'll see a rebound like we have last month to about a growth rate of 20 basis points per month on a headline basis. We think core CPI will kind of flutter around 15 basis points per month, and this should persist really into March um, or, or April of next year. Now, that doesn't mean that the big year-over-year -year number is going to falter. That's likely due to base effects, again, going to look really strong. But one of our fears is that the month-over-month, -month, or if you look at a three-month annualized CPI or PCE, there's not going to be a whole lot of enthusiasm. Now, why could that be the case, and what do we need to see to really make that change? And that comes down to OER. So owner's equivalent rent has been absolutely demolished in recent months, uh, thanks to COVID and forbearance, a whole lot, host of issues. And it's really the 800-pound gorilla in the room, weighing on headline and inflation that comprises almost 25% of headline CPI. And we have a, a nice chart that shows that over, you know, we had nice 3% year-over-year changes in OER really across uh, region, major regions that persisted really from 2015 up until uh, COVID-19 hit. But those have all decelerated uh, to the point where now at about 2.3% year-over-year growth rate in OER. Now, we've never really fallen below 2%. Um, away from the great financial crisis. So the big question kind of before the court here is, is OER, our rents, uh, you know, equivalent rents, are they going to fall to true recessionary, you know, financial crisis levels? And that's what we're trying to gauge. One way we can kind of say, probably not, is looking at the apart, uh, at apartment tightness. So the NMHC has a nice index of measuring apartment tightness. And we have a chart where we show it lagged 12 months relative to OER. And whenever that tightness has gotten to an ex uh, to really an extreme degree of looseness, meaning that it's the apartment conditions are extremely loose, like we saw in early 2003, and then we saw in early 2009, that's typically marked the bottom in the year year change in OER. So, um, in a sense, you could say that some of these metrics, like the tightness, you know, were excessively loose, which means that we should mean revert to a certain extent. Now, our favorite way to see if this will be the case is to burrow into more high-frequency alternative data, um, and that is through Google search activity. A lot of the kind of efforts that go into forecasting OER have focused on vacancy rates, unemployment, and kind of more traditional economic indicators. And frankly, they don't do a good job at forecasting OER. There's a lot of struggles that practitioners have in getting a flavor for what OER will do. So instead, we've looked at 35 different topics across Google searches. Uh, we've taken it by region. In this case, we're first gonna talk about it on a national level. Um, and that is everything from things that are favorable to rents and to those that are bad, that, that which is uh, unfavorable. So for example, um, we have a chart here that shows those search topics that are favorable, meaning they have a positive correlation to OER. And that runs from just simple apartment searches to I need a one bedroom apartment, or I need a U-Haul to move from this apartment to that apartment, all the way out to vacation rentals. And these searches have been demolished, were demolished in March and April as COVID hit, but they've actually seen a quite the resurgence um, going into year end. So there are 
increasing degree or increasing amounts of searches by consumers that are looking to get into apartments, looking for one bedroom, um, you know, housing, looking to enter a lease, uh, to relocate, and so on, which is, uh, I think, a positive for OER going forward. But on the flip side, the, the searches that are unfavorable, that have a negative correlation to OER historically, still remain elevated. And uh, that, that ranks, that's everything from bankruptcy to charge-offs, evictions, forbearance, all the way out to unemployment benefits. And as we all know, we've seen an uptick in initial jobless claims lately, which is not good. Uh, but these searches um, on a nationwide level still remain elevated. So we have this kind of, a lot of good happening. You know, consumers want to get back out there and spend the vaccines coming. They want to seek new shelter. But there's an apprehension and this lingering effect of the, the, the job market that's still struggling and the potential for evictions, the potential for bankruptcies, and so on. So what we do is we've spread these two metrics. Let's look at search searches that are favorable uh, for OER and those that are unfavorable. And you can see there is quite the connection to OER, the year of your change in it, looking back to the financial crisis. And when we turned positive, meaning we had more favorable searches versus unfavorable searches for rents, is, was the, the period when OER on a year-over-year -year basis really started to rebound in you know, late 20, 2010, early 2011. Now, this spread has yet to turn positive uh, going through, uh, this is through this month, December, we're still at negative 0.7 on a Z-score basis. And we want to see that turn positive. If so, we become enthusiastic that tips break evens across the curve, five on up, five on five years on out, should rally or widen above 200 basis points. So lastly, we put together a fancy model uh, for those that like the, uh, like the kind of geeky side. We've taken these 35 different rent-related search topics and we put them into a random forest model to say, what should OER do in terms of its year-over-year -year rate over the next year? Should it rise or will it fall? And uh, the probability as of now is right around 41%. And that's come screaming back as, as we've seen in November and December, the, imp the improvements in these rent-related searches and kind of still the, you know, the dampening a little bit and the unfavorable. And here we're looking for a 50 plus percent probability yet again to show that this inflation story, inflation is coming, has true inertia, will be here to stay. CPI um, and PCE will continue to show, you know, average to above average readings going into the end of 2021, 2022, instead of um, this whole hum, you know, 15 uh, or so basis points per month. We'll be updating in the weeks ahead, or really days ahead, uh, how we feel about different regions, trying to tear down, find how is California doing, how is Washington, New York, Chicago, and what does that mean ultimately for how quickly we can get a flavor for when OER is bound to, to turn? Because I think that that is going to be one of the, the key metrics for all of us that are in the tips, break evens, inflation expectation space um, in order to see a continued strong return. Remember, sharp ratios are all the way up to three to one. Uh, they don't usually sit there, uh, but for them to do so or even see uh, pretty moderate gains, we're going to have to see OER right the ship. Again, 25% of CPI. Um, and it looks like that's begun. Let's just get some confirmation 
with some of these higher frequency metrics. And that's kind of the story, Kristen, <laughs> in a long-winded way. Uh, inflation is coming, maybe, uh, but you know, I think we really got to uh, watch this higher frequency data uh, to get a flavor. And there's some opportunities here going forward. I'm just a little apprehensive given the strong performance we've seen over the past six months. Well, thank you, Ben, for your thoughts today. We appreciate it. And thank you to our audience for joining us. As a reminder, Arbor Research and Trading is an institutional research and brokerage firm that produces innovative research across a broad range of global fixed income, equity, currency, and commodity markets. Bianco Research and Arbor Data Science are our two most prominent research offerings. For further information on Arbor Research, Bianco Research, and Arbor Data Science, please contact Gus Handler at gus.handler at arborresearch.com.